are listening to the Project Weight Loss Podcast, where your best life is just one project away. And now, your host and life coach, Fina Perez. Hello, my dear friends. I hope you had a great week and that you made connections that rejuvenated you. Whether the connections be with other lovely humans (laughs) or with nature or with your pets, I love my pets. They follow me around the house. My Gigi, Ginger Cat, follows me everywhere I go around the, around my home. And my son's cat, George, is here. He's actually going to be picked up. He's going to come and pick him up, uh, in a couple weeks. So I'm really excited to see my son and, uh, and I'm happy for him. He's setting up his new place in Albuquerque. So in New Mexico. So good stuff for him. Anyway, I hope you have had good stuff happen to you this week. And if it was rough at times, which happens to all of us, I'm sending you love, lots of it. So our topic today is huge. And I'm going to give you, I think, information that will really serve you. And I want to reiterate that the podcast is for your information. And it's not meant as clinical advice or medical advice. And I want to quickly check in with you and give an update on my hikes. I hope you're getting out there, by the way. It's amazing for anxiety and overwhelm to step away. I stepped away this weekend. I had a lot of work to do, but I was a ninja and stepped away so that I could come and guess what? Be more productive. And it worked. I spent time with my daughter. I was so happy that she was home. We went on a really nice hike and I hung out with her. It was awesome. And we had a big get together with family on account of Father's Day. So shout out to the number one at my house, my honey, and shout out to all your dads out there, the ones that are here and the ones that are gone. You know, in fact, it was interesting because we had our first podcast at my nine to five. If you follow me, I mentioned it last week that we started our podcast at work. And one of the questions was about the person that we wish we could have that conversation with, famous, dead or alive. And both of my guests, the chief, uh, who is my boss and the chief secretary, both of them said their father. And I thought it was interesting. I thought it was, um, I thought it was an interesting conversation that, We remember our dads and I remember my dad, which was a great man and my father-in-law who really just made it count. And I talk about my father-in-law in in one of my episodes. Anyway, shout out to all the dads out there. And I want to share also that I found out a couple of weeks ago that I'm going to Manhattan for a conference in August. So I'm really excited for that. I love New York. Don't you? I can't wait to go and learn all the things and get some walks in Central Park in so that I can get ready and train for my Camino. Hopefully it's not too hot. So because I know that it gets hot in the summer so I can get some nice walks in and some time to hit the bookstores and cafes and landmarks, etc. But you know what? My life, like I imagine your life to be also, it's not always exciting. It can be nerve wrecking at times too. And those times are when anxiety and stress hit. When it comes knocking, it takes no prisoners. And yet there's hope. There's always hope. So let's first start 
with why this matters. I normally explain what it is, but I really want to start here with why it matters. You know, when I first thought of this series, I thought that I would come to you and bring you an episode that would really get to the core of how we can handle the emotions that have so much potential to derail our project weight loss and really to get to the core of our quality of life. And to me, what I consider the most challenging of the trifecta of these three emotions, which is why I left it for last, is anxiety. So I wanted to have us talk about these emotions and I wanted to give you tools that have the potential to help you heal and transform this trifecta. And this matters because anxiety has the potential to make us spin in overwhelm and worry, moving us to ruminate and obsess over what has not happened yet. Anger, as you know, can lead us to play the blame game and puts us in the mindset of being a victim, which is so strong of an emotion that reactivity happens before we know it. But if we're in full awareness and can catch ourselves, we can create so much potential positive energy. And boredom, well, it can feel like it's unnecessary. So we dismiss it and run away from it. When if we lean in, we can create so much possibility. So these emotions, these three emotions, they really matter to us. All these emotions matter so much to us when we're in them and they're going to come again and again, but I want us to be ready for them when they come. Anxiety specifically is driven by the sense of concern over a future situation and at its roots is really a worry that something that happened or didn't happen in the past that caused us pain or trauma will resurface, will happen again. And so we go into that fight, flight, or fear mode. It's very similar to the fear. But anxiety shows up in our physical being, our physiology, our emotional spirit, and our mind, our mental cognition. In our mind, the sympathetic nervous system is triggered. It's as if an alarm goes off in our body that makes us nervous or tense. And then we start the multiple emotions that are triggered here. Have you felt that alarm? It feels like a distress signal. At least it feels that way for me. Sometimes it's clear that we know why we have the anxiety. But sometimes we're like, what the heck? I just woke up. How can I be anxious? I don't have a reason yet to be anxious. What's happening? Or we're getting ready to relax and go to bed and boom, the way of anxiety hits, the worried response over the future thing that could happen or rumination over the unpleasant thing that happened that day. And you see, the thing to me that is the most important aspect of this emotion is that it can block our love for ourselves. And really, it's the reason why we have the anxiety. We shun ourselves in the emotion. Let me unpack that. And I'll return to this thought because as you know, for me, it starts and ends with love. What happens with anxiety is that we get disconnected from our body and our mind. And that disconnection is so uncomfortable that we want to run from it. You see, I think that anxiety serves us in that it creates a signal for us that it's time to go inward. But that's exactly the opposite of what we do and what we want to do. We don't want to feel this emotion at any cost. Heck no. 
To me, anxiety can help us react quickly, and this reaction really can't serve us because this anxiety can help us react quickly in unsafe situations. It can move us to act when needed, but most of the times we don't want to feel it. And yet this not feeling turns us to the things that continue the creation of the anxiety. We self-sabotage ourselves because we don't want to be in this terrible, jittery, overwhelming feeling of anxiety. So let me explain myself. For example, we think we feel anxiety because we're overworked. That horrible anxiety of too much, too much to do, not enough time to think, no one helping us. And so what do we do? We don't want to feel the anxiety. So we work with no breaks, no breathing, no stopping. We instead hide from the anxiety with an exhausted and frenetic work life, which is exactly the thing that caused the anxiety to begin with. We put too many things on our plate. We feel overwhelmed with this unhelpful question in our minds that asks us, when will the other shoe drop? So we're waiting for the other shoe to drop. You see, the very thing you think is helping you from actually experiencing this emotion is the thing that is helping to keep it going. I will give you a different example of the same idea. I'm going to give you a different example other than food because it's the same for food, but you can plug in anything really here. I want to give you the example of drinking. Let's say you're stressed either at work or all your home responsibilities, or you're fighting with a partner, a parent, a child, and you get this sense of dread that you just can't do this. You tell yourself, I have too much stress, anxious feelings and thoughts kick in. So you say, let me get the edge off. You go have the drink to get the edge off. But here's the thing, Going to get the drink and not feeling or being in full awareness of the anxiety is what's causing you to have more of the anxiety. So the exact thing you're running from and running to is the exact thing that will get you more anxiety and then you need to run, then you drink more. Then more anxiety kicks in and you drink more and so on and so on and so on until you make it a very strong habit. And this isn't just me saying this. This is how our physiology works. We know that we want that dopamine hit. The nucleus accumbens, I know it's a big word, the nucleus accumbens, this part in our brain, tells us that we want to drink and down regulates the hit of dopamine that we get from that sugar. So the drink gives us the dopamine hit. The nucleus accumbens tells us have more of it and regulates it down so we can have more of it. Then we get anxious when we don't have it. The anxiety is heightened when we don't have the drink. So we have to comfort ourselves and not feel the anxiety. We have the drink and then the loop continues. Can you see it? And let me tell you, willpower is not enough. It runs out easily. Willpower has such a small window of staying power. So the alcohol, it gives you the rush of insulin, gives you the buzz from the fermented yeast that converts the sugar to alcohol. And so really in the end, what it is is sugar. 
which is why so many times when people stop drinking, they gain weight. They go from one type of sugar to another, not wanting to feel the emotions and the pain of being disconnected from our tribe, from ourselves, and us not being able to soothe ourselves naturally without the substance, without the over-distraction. I want us to break that loop, break it once and for all. You see, the most important part again, and I will repeat it, is to acknowledge, fully acknowledge the signal our body is giving us and have compassion for ourselves, have love for ourselves. That is what we are seeking. You see, we have options with this emotion. We can either resist it and white knuckle our way through the day. We can ignore it and run from it. Comfort ourselves as we've always done. We can try to change and switch the emotion for another one, right? Or, or we can practice being fully in it, handling ahead of time, during and afterwards, handling this emotion so we can truly heal. You see, if we're fully present with it, we can gain love for ourselves in the process. And I know that sounds weird and sounds unusual, sounds like, how can we do this? But that's really what's at the core of this. I think that so much of our emotions really stem from our past, either based on trauma or based on an old situation or old emotions that we never truly acknowledged. It's like our body is not connected to our heart. It's kind of like the wildebeest in the Discovery Channels with the lone wildebeest that gets lost its tribe, right? That it's not, it's alone. We feel for it, right? Man, that feeling is awful. We feel the wildebeest lost in disconnection. It's so innate in us. And to me, so much of it stems from, from the relationships we have with our significant others. I talked about our fathers, but really I think many times it's with our moms. Sorry, moms, I'm one too. But it comes back to that. You know, I remember reading the amazing book by Mary Pfeiffer, Reviving Ophelia. And basically, now I'm going by memory, <laughs> so I'm sure you will check me. But the idea in this book was that the conflict occurs because we have to separate. Parent and child must separate as they have to find their way. And we help them, of course, but we also don't want to let them go. And they don't want to let go. So there's so much anxiety there. So what happens? They rebel, they argue, they misbehave, all stemming in preparation to separate, to be cut off. And you see, this is so primal, right? But it's so true. Let's dive in some more. We get this sense of anxiety and it's a signal really to our hearts to say, you're not feeling great, come inside. But instead of coming inside, we look outside for that comfort. We give ourselves no true attention, no true compassion, and definitely no love. And I know that you don't give yourself love because what happens? You comfort yourself and you know you don't want to comfort yourself with a thing, right? And you're not caring for yourself. So you go there, right? You're like, oh my God, this crap is happening to me again. And here's what happens. And we don't even realize this is happening, but here's what happens. We feel alone, like no one's there to help us. Just like that wildebeest, that example of the wildebeest, just like the example with Mary Pfeiffer of that separation of being alone and wanting to have the comfort, right? We're crying out for help. 
help from that lovely parent. And even if you didn't have that, and especially if you didn't have that, either way, it hurts, right? They loved us, but didn't get us. Or we think they were never truly there for us. We're alone. We feel alone and anxious, and we want to push it away. We want to ignore this feeling. And you ignore it. You ignore you. And you know, I recently had a conversation with someone I love so dearly. And this person said that the anxiety was so great that just feeling the emotion was not enough. And the truth is that is really the most important thing, but it's not the pretty thing initially. And I want to pause here and pivot here because really it's about the physiology. This is why Pavlov had it right. He was a physiologist by trade and his psychological discoveries were amazing and transformative. But basically, it's about our physiology of coming into our bodies and more precisely our emotions. And Pavlov was talking about these behaviors that were based on our actions, based on how we react to the things and the stimulus around us. So let me pivot again here a little bit, because to me, Sig teaches this so well. He says that motivation always happens after the action, after the physiology. Going into the body to get at the root of what's happening and why is that the root? Feeling the emotions and asking ourselves, why are you feeling this love? Why are you feeling it? If we get into our body, our physiology and emotions, then we can change the mind. See, it starts with the body first. It starts with the spirit first. But we want to go straight to our head of what's logical. Then we change the loop in the future, the future habits. And so all of this is happening and we just do it automatically. Let me give you one other example of what I mean by this physiology is what really changes our our mind. It's like the simple example of smiling. When you don't feel like smiling, you feel fake. You force your body to smile. What happens is the next thing you know, you feel better. The next thing you know is you feel better. You're not fake. You willed your body to feel an emotion purposely and your body completely obeyed you and created the thought for you. This is why when you go on a run or a hike, you feel so energized, so alive, you're motivated. Well, the action in your body, in your physiology created those thoughts of motivation. And Zig is all about that. That's what he teaches. You know, he talks so much about how we get into our heart and we get into our body and then the rest happens. You see, we need the body and mind connection, but really we need the spirit. And to me, it can only happen by going inside and feeling that emotion as the watcher that is accepting the love and compassion for you, not steering it away, not pushing it away. It's like you're pushing yourself away and saying, no, I don't have time for you. You know, you can't feel this. This isn't right. You're not right. You're rejecting yourself. Instead, I want us to soothe ourselves. 
It's how we show love for ourselves and how we get to heal and stop the looping of the anxiety and the actions from the anxiety that keep the anxiety resurfacing. You see, the anxiety to me is the way our body is telling us that it needs attention and we need to pay it some attention. We start by breathing into the emotion. And what I love to do, and, and I do this quite often, is I put my left hand on my heart and my right hand on my stomach, which is where the anxiety usually surfaces for me. It surfaces in my stomach, or sometimes I feel it in my heart or close to my throat. And this is why I touch these areas. And I tell myself, I'm here, I'm well, and this will pass. I unmask the anxiety by saying its name, anxiety. You're going to hear me say it over and over again. It has no authority over you. I ground myself in my breathing and full awareness of why I am feeling this hurt. Is it shame? Is it fear? Is it unworthiness? All the feelings and none, none of those feelings is who you are, who I am. And so I name that feeling. I feel that feeling. I'm in full awareness of it and I hold it. It's like I'm holding myself. I question why I'm holding this anxiety, right? Usually for something that hasn't happened yet. I remind myself compassionately that I can ground myself in my present space and feel the safety of the moment. Sometimes when the anxiety is too thick, I turn to a meditation and I lie down. I don't sit down with one hand on my heart. Then I use the other hand to touch my thumb with my middle finger, right? I don't know why I do this. I think I saw it somewhere like a meditation pose, but I touch my thumb to my middle finger and I lie down and the other hand goes on my heart and I listen to some meditation because it's such a strong emotion. You see, all of these actions that start They start with the physiology and then my mind follows. My mind makes me calmer, more present. I then can tell myself how I want to think and feel. I can tell myself nothing's gone wrong here. I'm safe and I'm loved. It becomes a clarity of perspective for me. So I ask you now, how will you show compassion for yourself when the anxiety hits Will you question your story? Will you go inward and accept the feeling as a physiological signal that it's time to give yourself love? It's time to take a breath and a true moment for you. Can you sit in your car at work and close your eyes for three minutes to decompress from the anxiety so it's lessened at the end of the day? Can you detach from the emotion and remind yourself that you are not your anxiety, your anger, your boredom, or any other emotion that comes crashing to you, but like a wave, it will recede if you just allow it to be there, noting it, watching it, and then allowing it to detach from you because it will. And so I offer you this information on how to practice your ability to soothe yourself Decide to feel the emotion in advance and practice allowing it and acknowledging it so you can move yourself to a natural comfort. Sometimes paying attention to your five senses is so relaxing. Or if you journal in the evening or after the manifestation of this emotion. 
Some people will walk, others do yoga, and yet others rest. All are great. And all of these can be done after you go inward. And so to me, the best physiological solution is to go inward and feel purposely the emotional love for yourself. This is what's going to heal you and what will move you towards your peace. And with that, I will leave you with the quote by Barbara Haynes Howitt. Just when the caterpillar thought the world was ending, she became a butterfly. I hope you fly this week. I love you. Hey, thanks for listening. If you're ready to achieve your weight loss goal and grow into your most authentic and amazing self along the way, check out our website at projectweightloss.org. See you there.